0: the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and hell right well that's not how it starts right that's not what the verse actually says i mean we would expect it to start that way like if this whole book here is about you on earth trying to get to heaven and not hell you think the first page would be like let me tell you the three places and then i'm going to spend the rest of the pages making sure you get to the right spot but it doesn't start that way it's a different story not that that's not a part of the story but it's not the essential uh, you know bottom line foundational story in fact it starts out like this in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and it says that after everything he created he says it was good if we assume that this book is about me on earth getting to heaven or hell The book just doesn't start that way it it throws us for a loop we're midway into a series about common misconceptions about heaven and hell kind of things that we've developed out of our culture and we're exploring the fact that this is a really complex and nuanced story that the bible tells about the afterlife and really as western christians we've tried to simplify it we're like give me the simple version let's leave out some of the details and just try to simplify it as much as possible now, in doing that, there's advantages to simplifying things, but in doing that, I think there's some people in our cultures, in our families, in our workplaces, in our city, who have rejected a simplified form of the story of Christianity, whereas if they saw the whole story, they might have accepted it. They might have said, oh, that actually gets right to the heart of what I wanted, but we've tried to dumb it down and simplify it so much. That in some cases, some people said, oh, that doesn't actually talk about these deep issues that I really wanted it to, so I'm going to look somewhere else. I think in simplifying it, trying to make it accessible for everyone, we've actually made it inaccessible for some. We've lost some important distinctions that I think are part of what make Christianity great. To make a simple, seamless doctrine about the afterlife, we've sometimes filled in the gaps with what we think might be or what makes sense, and what could be but not what the text explicitly says and so today we're continuing our series by talking about heaven in the old testament how the old testament writers talked about heaven and uh i have a pretty humble easily obtainable goal today i want to change your definition of heaven you know just something simple like you know just an easy thing uh you know um i should be able to do that right um maybe i might feel miserably but Before we get into how we usually talk about heaven Let's talk about how the bible defines or even before we get into how the bible defines heaven Let's start with some real simple facts The overwhelmingly majority of the time that the word heaven is mentioned in the old testament It is a plural word not a singular word Almost every single time there's a few exceptions and we'll talk about those but almost every time It's the word heavens not heaven when it's found in the old testament um, Genesis 1-1, I just quoted at the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever noticed that? I just immediately assume he means heaven and earth, right? And then I move on because I immediately put my assumption into there about what that means. In the beginning, God created the heavens. Or consider just real quickly three other passages, but we could look at hundreds. Psalm 19:1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You've probably seen that somewhere, or maybe you shared it on social media with a beautiful picture. Psalm 8.3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars that you have set in place. Jeremiah 10.12, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom. By his understanding, he stretched out the heavens. And I could go on and on, but you get the idea. Most of the time, heavens is a plural word, and the word heavens is almost always a fill-in for the word skies. So when you're reading in the Old Testament and you see the word heavens, just do a quick test. Say, could I put the word skies in here, and it's talking about the same thing, or am I missing it? Most of the time, you'll find that you could put in the word skies, and that's exactly what the author is talking about. He says, the skies declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. When I look at your skies, the work of your fingers, I can see the moon and the stars in the skies. And you're like, oh, okay. They're using the word heavens in a plural sense to talk about skies. Now, um, to the Jewish people, heavens was a way to refer to the skies or a way to refer to the sky above the sky, which we would call outer space today. There are a few notable exceptions where heaven is singular in the Old Testament. If you go to Genesis 28, Jacob has this vision of a staircase going to heaven. And he sees angels going up and down. And he says, this must be the gates to God's kingdom. Right here, this is the portal. This is the gate between my kingdom and God's kingdom. And he builds an altar there. In Psalms 115.3, the psalmist says, God is in heaven... In that place where he is king and he has total authority to do whatever he wants there because he rules and reigns there but a lot of times when you see the word heavens it's just guys now this is where we need to stop for a minute and talk about ancient israelite cosmology for a moment they believe that in the beginning there was this cosmic void you see this in genesis chapter one it says god's spirit hovered over the waters this kind of Voicy, and then he made this bubble in the void and he created skies and land um, And so they used a shorthand for our space and God's space. This is a picture from the TV show under the dome um, and this is kind of how ancient israelites saw the world. We live inside this dome. That's our space heaven Anything outside of our space. That's God's kingdom. That's God's space And so they use that shorthand sometimes to separate the two in the Jewish imagination. There was a space which had heaven heavens Skies and earth land and then there was skies beyond our space and that was God's space There was our kingdom and God's kingdom and sometimes they use heaven as a shorthand for God's kingdom And earth as a shorthand for our kingdom. Okay Hopefully, we're still on the same page so far. At one point, they were both God's kingdom, but we tried to dethrone him and roll ourselves, and so now we have separate kingdoms, our kingdom and God's kingdom. So now, before we get to my working definition of heaven, let's back up and talk about the natural thing to talk about at this stage (laughs) U.S. geography. Um, (laughs) You you saw it coming, right? U.S. geography. You knew I was going to go there. Uh, Is this picture of, you can see a picture of Florida up here, there's an alligator. In the, the top, that would be your top right-hand corner. Um, is that the United States of America? Yeah, uh, Florida, yeah, we, we claim it. It's ours. How about Alaska, United States of America? Yeah, yeah, we claim Alaska. It's beautiful. How about Hawaii? That's not even connected to us. Alaska isn't really either, but Hawaii's really not connected to us. But that's still the United States, right? That's still part of us even though they aren't touching, even though they're very different climates. Flip to that next slide there, Sean. This one's a trick question. This is the US consulate in China. Is that the United States? Technically that's US soil. Isn't that weird? All those would be considered the United States of America. And I I know you're like, "Um, well, let me back up. How do you define the United States of America? Would you say, well, it's the things on the North American continent. Um, You would say it's US soil when we say that we mean it's territory where US United States has authority and law our laws are recognized and enforced and I know you're like So what does that have to do with heaven? If I understand scripture, right? I think it has everything to do with heaven because I think it works a lot like this See I usually define heaven like this and most Christians I know in North America do as well and I think this just misses some biblical distinctions we usually say heaven is another dimension where god lives and the disembodied souls of all those who love jesus will live forever in cloud palaces there we kind of imagine a cosmic cloud city from star wars um and we put in a little bit of a dash of theology that we learned from looney tunes when a character dies you know and they put on a white robe and start playing a harp and they go up into the clouds and we're like that's good theology right there that's what i believe um looney tunes is not a good place to learn your theology But I think that definition that that's our cultural definition in the west of heaven I think that definition is faulty and actually misses some biblical distinctions that the Bible teaches Um, That's what we've made the text say sometimes because when we start with our cultural imaginations and we read the Bible Every time we see the word heavens. We're just like oh, yeah That's the cloud city the cloud palace where I'm going and we have to read a little bit closer We have to look at the context we have to see what's going on and see if that's what the author was intending to say or if our cultural imagination is actually filling in the gaps with what we already thought now quick sidebar if you're getting real nervous you're like alex is such a heretic i had somebody call me this week and ask about one of the sermons i preached in this series they're like are you a heretic now i'm like i don't think so like my beliefs are still very orthodox i'm just trying to get closer to the bible not farther away i wholeheartedly support what Paul says the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 8 we are confident and hopeful that being absent from the body means being at home with Jesus we can stake our lives on that truth I think that is true and that is something that we can believe I'm just asking about us like refining our definition of heaven a little bit notice that when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 8 and he talks about being at home with Jesus he doesn't say you're going to a cloud palace called heaven he says you're going to be with jesus that's the confidence that we have whether in this life or in the next life jesus will not leave you and i think the next life you're going to be able to experience him even fuller but let's back up and keep talking about in heaven heaven um really if we search the old testament we're hard pressed to find a picture of what we would call heaven being called heaven by the bible And what I mean by that is when I started this series I knew I wanted to talk about how the old testament talks about heaven and I knew it talked a lot about the skies But I knew there were these couple moments in the old testament where i'm like that's a picture of heaven right there And so I flipped open to them when I was studying I flipped open to the story of job where god's there and the devil comes in and they have this wager over The life of job and I was like that's heaven right there, but it never says heaven in the whole passage I kept reading it and i am like This has to be taking place in heaven. doesn't say where it takes place. Um, Then I was like, okay, I know where it is. Zechariah 3. I love Zechariah 3. It's one of my favorite passages. The high priest is standing before God, and the devil's there, and he's like, this guy's a piece of garbage. You shouldn't have him in ministry. You should kill him right now. And then this advocate comes out. I think it's a picture of Jesus. And he's like, no, no, no. I took care of this guy. His sins are forgiven. I've ransomed him. One of my favorite all-time passages. I'm like, that took place in heaven, Right? It never says heaven in the whole passage i'm like, okay, there's got to be someplace where you call it heaven Like really one of these passages has to be a picture of heaven, right? So I flipped open to isaiah 6 i've (laughs) preached from isaiah 6 multiple times love that passage And i'm always like there's this picture of heaven except there's a problem. It never says heaven here Let's look at it in isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 in the year that king uzziah died I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled heaven. No, it doesn't say that. It says, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke as I spoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh, Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Now this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is removed." Your sin is atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord on the throne asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. I've read this so many times. Uh, there was a while, there was a time for a while I was praying this passage every week, trying to imagine what it was like being in the presence of God. And I've always assumed it's a glimpse. Of heaven, this other dimension where God lives. I preach it that way. The only problem with it, it never says it's heaven. What does it say? He's in the temple. In Jerusalem. On earth. So let's talk about my working definition of heaven. Trying to flesh this out of the Bible. Trying to make more key distinctions to be closer to what the Bible teaches. Heaven is any place where Jesus is recognized as king. He's obeyed as king. He rules as king heaven is god's country his territory his kingdom when we look at the u.s consulate in china and we say that's u.s territory heaven works the same way anywhere where god jesus has authority and he rules and reigns if we want to use the word heaven like the bible does we have to either use it to reference the skies or we have to use it to describe proximity to and the priority of god's divine Person, How close you are to god and how important how much authority he has in that space That's how the new testament authors use the word and we'll talk about that in a few weeks um, I think that this ties right back into our geography discussion just like u.s. Soil is anywhere u.s. Law is applied Jesus's rule and reign is heaven Heaven is territory where jesus's authority and teachings are recognized and enforced Heaven is any place that Jesus is present and treated as king. Now, at this point, you might be like, Alex, thanks for wasting our time. You're literally splitting hairs. Who cares if our definition of heaven is a little bit off? You're pretty much saying the same thing that we're saying as a culture anyways. Uh, So what does it matter? Uh, Two people who start on very similar paths with only a narrow margin of difference will end up at very different places the farther they get from their starting point. A one degree degree difference in a path with one foot distance traveled will only get you .02 inches off. But if you travel 100 yards, you'll be off by 5 feet. If you travel a mile, you'll be off by 92 feet. If you travel from San Francisco to L.A., you'd be off by 6 miles, even if your starting point was only one degree difference. If you were in a rocket going to the moon and you were one degree off, you'd end up 4,169 miles off target. So i think sometimes just being a little bit off can make us end up in very different places if we're not precise on what heaven is we tend to uh, tend to end up in the wrong place on a lot of other stuff so before we dig into this passage and kind of talk about why i think it's still a picture of heaven territory where jesus has authority and his teachings are recognized and enforced can i indulge in just a bible nerd moment because i can't be in this passage and not have a little bible nerd moment I'm going to do it even if everybody said no because i just love bible nerd stuff um so this is conjecture but it's fun conjecture so we're just going to take three to four minutes while i have this fun little rabbit trail okay (laughs) the word seraphim in this passage is hebrew for burning one Um, it's a word that's usually translated serpent so this has led some bible scholars to assume that satan in the garden was a fallen seraphim because we have the word serpent um, so Here's where I nerd out a little bit And here's where you can say, Alex, that's the stupidest thing ever And that's okay because I have no way to prove this It's just fun if it's true, okay This does nothing for your life This does not make you more like Jesus in any way But I just think it's fun and John in Revelation 12:9 says The great dragon was cast out The ancient serpent of old Called the devil and Satan Who lies to the whole world He was thrown onto the earth And his angels were cast out with him So John says the serpent we see in Genesis was actually a dragon Now Egyptians when they drew seraphim, they drew dragons So if the serpent in the garden was a dragon and the devil was some kind of seraphim That means that this picture in Isaiah 6 could quickly look like a dragon from Game of Thrones Um, It could I, I Can't prove that that's not any good Bible study But, you know, some scholars think that. I mean, just imagine this picture with me for a moment, okay? We're going to reread the passage. Isaiah walks into the temple courts. All of a sudden, he sees Yahweh seated on a high and lofty throne. The hem of his robe drapes down and fills the whole temple courts. Dragons were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they flew. With two, they covered their faces before God. And with two, they covered their feet. And they called back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And when they spoke, the foundations of the temple shook. The doorframe shook. And as they spoke, smoke from their mouths filled the temple. I don't know. It just fits the passage for me, you know? Um, I know it's conjecture. But once I read a few scholars talking about this, it's the only way I can read it now. So I'm sorry. Thanks for allowing me my little nerd moment. Back to the topic at hand, heaven. So where does all this take place? Isaiah says it takes place in the temple. Isaiah goes up to the temple to worship. He opens the doors. He walks into the courts, and God is sitting there on a throne and potentially dragons flying around him. Um, It would be like if you rolled up to the art center this morning, you opened up the door, And you're like, you walked in, and it was so quiet. And then you look up, and God's just sitting here on a gigantic throne. And the hem of his garments is just rolled out through the whole place. You'd be like, what? And potentially dragons are flying around him. Um, I can't let it go. I'm sorry. So often I rush into church, and I don't think about a gigantic throne with Yahweh sitting on it and celestial beings around him yelling holy 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 i rush into this place scramble to set everything up rushing to give my message to move on to the next thing and i miss he's sitting here on a gigantic throne wanting to roll and reign in my heart and in our church and in our community in our city when we pray When we worship, we need to stop and remember this scene. We need to enter with a holy reverence. We need to think about this picture. We need to imagine it. Whether you imagine it with dragons or not, we need to imagine it. We don't just go to heaven. We need eyes to see that heaven is right here, right now. God is closer than we think. So often I miss what God is doing because I'm looking far away. He's out there in heaven somewhere. He's far off in another dimension. He's right here, right up close. Isaiah is totally shook when he sees this. He strolled into the temple expecting some rabbi to preach too long while he thinks about lunch. And instead he walks in and God's there. And he says, woe is me. My seminary professor used to say, woe is me is such a disappointing translation because nobody says that today and it misses all the emotional impact of what's happening in that passage. Um, My seminary professor said, it's more like Isaiah says, fudge. Except he doesn't say fudge, if you know what I'm saying. Um, What's funny about this is, what's the very next line? Isaiah, after he says, woe is me, he goes, I'm a man of unclean lips you know so it kind of fits you know he's like i just cussed in front of god he's like i can't believe i just did that but this isn't a vision of another place it's a vision of this place he's just given eyes to see what's happening right in front of him all the time and that he usually misses he's given eyes to see something we normally miss now notice what the seraphim say to each other cough dragons Uh, his glory fills the whole earth that's not how i usually talk about god i'm like his glory in heaven amazing glory in heaven awesome off the charts he's glorified in heaven what do they say he's glorified on earth and it fills the whole earth the seraphim talk about his glory on earth heaven is the sovereign territory where god has recognized authority heaven isn't just a place it's a state of being ruled by god it's when any place or any person comes under the rule and reign of jesus see churches should be tiny territories of heaven in this crumbling kingdom of death where we find ourselves but sometimes churches say jesus is king but don't act like jesus is king probably some of you have experienced churches that said jesus was king but the community felt more like hell than heaven For a spot to be heaven, they need to not just say Jesus is king, they need to act like he is. Now, notice what Yahweh says here. He says, who will I send? Who will go for us? And you'd think one of those dragons would be like, I'll go for you, Lord. Dragons, we get the job done. You need something done, you send a dragon, you know? That'll take care of it. I don't know. I I would think that if I could send anybody, I wouldn't send humans, I'd send dragons, you know? I just think they'd do a better job. But he does it. The dragons aren't even given the opportunity Isaiah timidly raises his hand. He's like, I could go. He's like, "Can you imagine standing in front of God? And he's like, who can I send? If I was Isaiah, I'd be like, that dragon right there, that's the one. Send him. God isn't just trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to bring heaven to earth. He's trying to bring his kingdom, this kingdom under his rule and reign. And were his agents embedded deep into enemy territory, getting ready for his invasion. We're behind enemy lines. We're secret agents. You're spies for the high king of the universe. And Yahweh, commander of the army, says, I have a secret mission. I need an agent embedded behind enemy lines. And he looks at you, and you, and you, and you, and me. And he says, Who will go for me? Who will do this mission? I have a top secret mission. Remember the old mission of Possibles? or even the new Mission Impossible, you know. And they're like, for your eyes only, top secret. This message will self-destruct. God's like, I need someone to go. And we know we're perfectly positioned in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our cities, to bring a little heaven to hurt and desperate people. And I hope you'll join me in saying, here we are, King Jesus, send us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. For bringing heaven down. For inaugurating your kingdom in this rebel world. God, we look forward to the day when you come back. When you will be here fully bodily present. There will be a new sky, a new land. We'll live with you forever. But until that day comes, may we be agents of heaven in a kingdom of death. May we be bringing light into darkness and healing to the hurting. May we say, here I am, God. What's the secret mission? Amen.